When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. It's said that great leaders create more leaders. So why is it that so many leaders hold people back? And how do you better support developing leaders on your team? Let's find out as we watch the 14th episode of the second season of The Next Generation, The Icarus Factor. The Enterprise is headed to Starbase Montgomery. There's some readings coming from engineering, and they need to use their facilities to figure all that stuff out. They've also got some personnel transfers that Captain Picard is being a little cryptic about. Besides, I've just received some personnel transfer directives, priority matter. He invites Commander Riker to meet with him when he's wrapped up. In a cool camera shot that we don't ever see in later seasons of the series, Picard and Riker meet. He says some nice things about Riker's performance as first officer, and then he shares some surprising news. The captain of the starship Ares is retiring. Congratulations. You've been selected as his replacement. Turns out Riker was one of those mysterious personnel transfers. It's going to be a space exploration vessel, deep space exploration, that's mapping new parts of the galaxy. At the starbase, they'll be picking up a civilian mission expert to brief and prepare Riker to assume command. And then, again... Picard is being strangely cryptic about that, too. I think you'll find the briefing interesting. Riker's looking forward to it. He's mostly going to be basing his decision as to whether or not to accept the command based on that briefing. They beam the mission expert over. Riker is more than a little surprised when his dad materializes. Once he says he's the advisor, Riker leaves the transporter room and asks the transporter attendant to get Kyle, his dad, to quarters. Turns out they haven't seen each other for 15 years. And as we'll see through the episode, Will is still upset about that. And because this is the second season of the series, not only is Wesley Crusher in it, that acting ensign Wesley Crusher, but they are really leaning into his, um, uh, his youthful energy. Worf! Did you hear about Commander Riker's promotion? Yes. He didn't know his father was coming. He was completely surprised. So? Can you imagine if it was your father? I never knew my father. And I didn't have a father long enough to know him. It is a waste of time to think of such things. I wasn't thinking about it, but everybody needs somebody. Enough! Worf goes on his way, and Wesley, hurt, watches him go. Worried, he talks with Geordi and Data. He knows this isn't on brand for Worf, and he wants to help him. He does some research and thinks he's landed on it. I figured out Worf's problem. It's the 10th anniversary of Worf's Age of Ascension. Worf's upset that he's going to be missing this important anniversary and the ritual that goes along with it. He's feeling isolated. 
Data thinks they should use the holodeck, so they get to work programming it and all of the intricacies of the ritual. That would entail the use of Klingon pain sticks. Pain sticks. Sounds lovely. Which, I've got to tell you, that's kind of a ridiculous name, right? But it's a whole lot better than pain givers from Babylon 5. Yeah, I'm bringing that here. Riker, he's chilling out in 10 forward, visiting with Chief O'Brien when his dad, Kyle, comes in. He starts visiting with some people he knows, including Dr. Pulaski. This is more than a surprise, it's total shock. They used to see each other. They even almost got married. They share a friendly kiss and hug. They know each other. No kidding. Well, I know her too, but we don't do that. <laughs> Small world. We learn here that Pulaski was married and divorced three times, and she's still good friends with all the dudes. Those are some great relationship goals, really. Riker, fed up with what he's seen, makes his way to their table. They invite him to join them. Sit down, son. But Riker shuts him down. I'm ready for that briefing whenever you are. Worf comes to Riker's quarters. He requests to transfer to the Ares with him. He thinks that Will is going to need his expertise on the mission. Riker hears him, but he doesn't commit to anything. From there, he heads off to meet with Kyle. Kyle hands him a disc with the mission details, says it's all there, and then he tries to talk. Like, really talk. He almost tries to have a for real conversation like we talked about in the 86th episode, or actually the 85th episode. This is the 86th episode. Will, I came to the Enterprise because, well, considering where you might be going, I wanted to... I'm here with my hand out, son. But Riker just leaves the room. It's so sad, even the music gets all feely. This back and forth goes on throughout the episode. Kyle ends up talking to Pulaski, who hands him off to Troy. A little later on, Will talks to Pulaski too. Turns out Kyle is super competitive and is jealous of Will. And he's pretty ridiculous about it all. I may have something of a reputation for excellence. Wow. Eventually, they meet up in Riker's quarters. We find out Will's mom, Kyle's wife, died when he was young. and Kyle left a while after that. As Kyle prepares to leave, they get right to it, going back to the one thing that connected them back in the day. You know, it's a shame there's no Anbo Jitsu ring nearby. Really? There is. Deck 12, the gymnasium. We could clear the air once and for all. You're on. When Kyle talks with Pulaski again, she calls him on this BS. Haven't we grown beyond the point where we resolve our problems with physical conflict? But apparently not, because this is where we're going. And speaking of physical conflict and pain, Worf shows up for his party. There's a pathway with risers on either side and Klingons holding pain sticks on him. The ritual's pretty straightforward. Worf walks down the pathway, gets hit with pain sticks, and then celebrates his anniversary with his buddies. Well done, Wesley. And then, the big showdown. Will and Kyle gear up American Gladiator style. Our first competition in this quarterfinal match is the Joust, where a contender has 30 seconds to knock a Gladiator from his platform for 10 points. Thunder's up first for the Gladiators, and he'll start off against Dale Thompson. And then fight. They've got these Q-tip-looking staffs and a visor blocking their vision. It's actually not done too badly the way they set this up. I mean, not that well either, but also not that bad. And they have it all out she was your mother but she was my wife and when she died all that kept me going was you after saying the things they hadn't said for the past 15 years they're good or at least better they hug it out and kyle heads back to the starbase 
On the bridge, Riker takes his seat in the first officer's position, with just three pips on his uniform. Picard asks why he turned down the promotion. Motivated self-interest. Whatever that means. So, we end the episode right where we started, but with Riker resolving a big family rift. So, the first two seasons of The Next Generation are interesting. I think it's popular and generally accepted to just call them bad. I myself am pretty guilty of skipping these two seasons on my rewatches, but episodes like this highlight the massive potential these seasons had, which really did allow it to flourish into the near masterpieces of the later seasons, like seasons five and six. But if we're being fair, this is still very much an early season episode of this show. In the 30th episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, Discovery, Choose Your Pain, I talked about the incredible performance review that Saru set up for himself. Now, there's a tool that enables you to do the same thing for yourself and your teams. For your free copy of this tool, visit starfleetleadership.academy and join the mailing list. You'll not only get a free copy of this incredible tool, but you'll also hear about other cool things going on with the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Visit starfleetleadership.academy today and get your free copy. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. There were two stories in this one that really mattered. Worf's ceremony and Riker's dad coming on board. The problem is, for a 44 minute long episode, this only really gave him like 35 minutes of content. So there was some real stretching going on. They had this whole storyline about engineering readings that was kind of kind of dumb, not even really worth mentioning. It just gave the episode something to fill time with. Now in past episodes, I've talked about both the genius of Gene Roddenberry, as well as how difficult he made it to produce quality television. This is one of those. The director really wanted to focus on the emotions between Will and his dad, drawing out the anger, the resentment. Let the hate flow through you. Which, to me at least, makes for some good TV and makes total sense. But Roddenberry shut that down. He said that by this time in the 24th century, people and families wouldn't have unresolved anger to deal with. We'd be more emotionally mature, something like that. So the interactions were seriously watered down, which I think really hurt this episode a lot. But still, this was a compelling idea for a story. So was Worf's big day. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Jordy and Data's relationship is a real high point in TNG for me. This episode reminded me of how they included Wesley in that for a time, too. And it honestly worked. It was a warm storyline of a group of people coming together to take care of their friend. It showed cultural humility and real connection. It also had some pretty funny bits to it. Right. Watch the subject for any signs of unusual behavior. When do we start? We will assist you as needed. You found the problem. And you must solve it. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. Which really played on that friendship triangle. And we even got a fun moment of the early days of Data when they were still mm, kind of figuring out how an android would behave. You seem to have lost the will to communicate with others. You have friends here. We, we care about you. With 
all due respect. Be gone! <laughs> Good stuff. One cool little piece of trivia on this one. Do you know who John Tesh is? Hi everyone, welcome to Entertainment Tonight. I'm John Tesh. There was a time, late 80s into the early 90s, where he was kind of a big deal. In fact, his live Red Rocks album from, I think, I think it was in 94, it was a pretty significant bit of zeitgeist at the time. Well, apparently, he's a huge Star Trek fan, so he leveraged his influence to get a part on the show. And this is the episode! He was put into makeup and given a pain stick. He was one of the Klingons that shocked Worf. Tesh was hosting Entertainment Tonight at this time, so they did a segment on his experience. It was kind of cool. I guess all I need to do is host a huge Hollywood tabloid show, reach world-class musician status, and, and then, hey, I can get a bit part on an episode of Star Trek someday, too. Sounds easy enough. The Riker storyline, while emotionally neutered, actually did a lot to develop the characters on the show. Yes, I said the episode ended with us in the same place as we were in the beginning, which is narratively true, but developmentally, this was significant. Obviously, we learned more about Will and his story. We get another in a line of what I think will be, I don't know, I think it's three times that he declines a promotion. We also get a significant moment in his relationship with Deanna Troy. Theirs is a relationship I feel everyone should aspire to. True love, true support for each other, both as friends and as people. This episode shows how deep that love runs when they say goodbye to each other. Really touching. And in full transparency, I, I teared up when they said, Are you feeling sad? Yes, I am. So am I. Oh, man. That is powerful stuff. She's heartbroken and wants to connect with Will, checking to see that they still have their deep love. And when they connected, they were able to see that they still share that deep love. Thinking back on it now, I think, I think this was my favorite scene of the entire episode. And then you know who I'm really coming to like and appreciate as I watch these episodes, these earlier episodes for the podcast? Dr. Pulaski. Man, I did not like her before. I, like so many others, just labeled her as a bigot based on my initial take on how she responded to Data, and I wrote her off. But episodes like Elementary, My Dear Data, and this one, and others, go a long way to show the depth of the character she had. She's passionate. She's kind and generous. Married three times, divorced three times, and still great friends with all of them. Again, that's like Riker and Troy-level relationship goals. I mean, not the divorce, necessarily but the relationship where you can remain friends and connected. Plus, she's got an awful lot of Dr. McCoy in her. Sounds nasty. What's the therapy? Tryptophan lysine distillate with a generous dose of PCS. PCS? Pulaski's chicken soup. <laughs> Honestly, it's kind of a shame we only got her for one season. So if you're like me and you tend to skip these early TNG episodes, go ahead and hit this one. Totally could have been better than it turned out, but in the story of Star Trek, this is totally worth watching. Command codes verified. Why are you a leader? Why would anyone want to be a leader? Ask a hundred people, you're likely going to get about a hundred answers. But Captain Picard describes it beautifully in this episode. We're going to look at the motivation to be a leader and specifically how having a sound and grounded why will help you accomplish one of the core functions of a leader. Creating Other Leaders. 
The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support this podcast. Given the plot, you'd think this episode could have been a real examination of the offer of leadership, of leaving what makes you comfortable for something that might not work out. Instead, it focuses on the interpersonal dynamics between the Rikers, and that's okay, because that's where I come in, right? I'm going to snag some of the pieces that do talk about that examination and the support that it needs and get more out of this episode than the writers probably intended. The dictionary definition of leadership is the position or office of a leader. Oh, duh. Well, that's not really helpful at all. Oh, oops. I guess I should keep reading. It goes on to say that leadership is the ability to guide and direct a group of people towards a common goal. Okay. Well, that sounds a little better. So if leadership is the ability, being a leader is doing that thing, actually moving that group of people towards the common goal. I'm not going to lie. That sounds kind of dry and boring. I mean, it's not wrong by any means, but how is that going to inspire anyone to step into the often uncomfortable role of being a leader? Let's look at some other descriptions. McKinsey says, leadership is a set of behaviors used to help people align their collective direction, to execute strategic plans, and to continually renew an organization. Can you get more buzzwords in there? This is still so dry. Boring! Side question. Why are we so driven to use these big old words and make things sound so self-important? It's honestly exhausting. It's one of the reasons I started this podcast. Take the inflated ego stuff out of what we do, and let's just get to the good stuff. Let's try this. I'll start easy. Why am I a leader? Why is Jeff Aiken a leader? Probably because I don't have any marketable technical skills and well, I got to do something, right? (laughs) No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Honestly, I am a leader because I'm driven to help people unlock their true potential and to achieve more than they thought they could. Now, which one of those sounds better to you, right? The ones that from the dictionary in McKinsey or this one that's personalized, the one that means something, at least to me. If you personalize it, it has more meaning. Now, I'm curious why you are a leader. What brings you to this world? Captain Picard, while coaching Riker on his big decision, right, take the promotion or not, describes it really well. Being who you are, it will soon be vibrant with your authority, your style, your vision. Now, that language is still very me, 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 or my, my, my. But it still gets to a lot of great stuff. Leadership is about vision, creating a vision, and enrolling people and moving towards it. Back in the 80th episode of the podcast, when we watched Discoveries Into the Forest I Go, I talked extensively about vision and how to do that well as a leader. Now, this becomes important as we look at the decision Riker has to make. In theory... First officer is a position meant to prepare someone for command. I compare it to being the assistant or deputy general manager or whatever they call it in your company. You get some of the duties, but you're still really focused on operations. The development comes in the problem solving and understanding the thinking behind the GM or captain or store manager's decisions. Again, in theory, right, the goal in that position is to be offered your own location, your own store or your own starship. And that's what happens to Riker here. But, like most people in that position, he doesn't just blindly accept the offer. He wants to know more about it. 
He wants to be sure it's a good fit for him and his career. So he leans on the people around him to help inform his decision, specifically really on Captain Picard. And he is so great. We'll talk about the awesome things he does here shortly. But before that, I want to talk about a thing I have personally experienced, and I'm pretty sure you either have or you know someone this has happened to. Jealousy. Petty, petty jealousy. You're doing well in your role, and you're ready for the next step, but your manager, for whatever reason, works to sabotage it. Here's my story. Back when I was supervising a late shift production shop, I felt I was ready for a role with more responsibility. I cruised the job listings, applied to a few, and mostly sat around waiting. I was finally invited to interview for this cool-looking job. It would have managed some administrative operations in a law enforcement organization. Fascinating and important stuff. So I did what you do, or what you should do, when preparing for an interview like this. I did a bunch of research so I could show up with an understanding of the organization and the job. I even had a 30-60-90 day plan based on what I knew. And not to toot my own horn, but uh, I kind of nailed it. When that interview ended, I knew I had the job, and much more importantly, they knew I had the job too. So then they do what you should do when hiring someone, especially into a critical role. They checked references. They called my current supervisor at the time, and they should have had nothing but great things to say about me. My performance reviews were good, and they hadn't brought up any performance concerns with me. But I later found out, because to share the end of the story, or well past the end, I later ended up in a position where my team utilized the services that this position I applied to managed. But I found out in meeting that person that my supervisor refused to answer questions about my performance and instead said they didn't feel I was ready for more responsibility, that the job would be beyond my skill set. Now, the end of the story is actually pretty great. Like I said, I ended up managing a program that took advantage of their services, which was a cooler job than the one I had applied for. And the supervisor that gave me the slanted reference, yeah, that dude ended up getting fired. So know this, in the moment, things may seem dire, but in the long run, things tend to work out. Now reflecting on that, I had to ask, why did they do that? Why did they knowingly sabotage my advancement? Well, it's not exactly the same. A line Troy drops when arguing with Kyle Riker starts to paint this picture. And you should honestly consider why you're so competitive with your own son. This obviously wasn't a father-son thing, but if we change a few words, it totally applies, right? You should honestly consider why you're so competitive with your team. Horton and many others, maybe most notably author Roy T. Bennett, say that great leaders create more leaders. The quote from his book, The Light in the Heart, reads, Good leaders have vision and inspire others to help them turn vision into reality. Great leaders create more leaders, not followers. Great leaders have vision, share vision, and inspire others to create their own. Now, looking back at Picard's definition of leadership, kind of sounds like he was doing exactly this. But leaders that let their ego get in the way that allow their own issues and shortcomings to cloud their judgment, that believe they are creating followers and not leaders, they do stuff like this. They use their power differential to kind of compete, or maybe more accurately, hold down the people on their team. There are a number of ways to combat this. Maybe one of the easier ways is uh, just take a hike. 
you're working for somebody like this, just quit. Take this job and shove it. Find something else to do or somewhere else to do what you do. But that's not necessarily an option for everybody. Or maybe you're working where you want to, just not with the person you want to. In those cases, self-advocacy becomes a useful strategy. Speak up. In a weird scene that doesn't make any narrative sense and never comes up again, see my earlier little rant on filling time in the episode, Worf shows some awesome self-advocacy. It is very difficult to say. Words are not always easy for me. Let's look at what he does here. He first sets the tone for what is to come. As soon as those words come out of his mouth, the words are not easy for me, right? Two really important things happen. First, Riker knows something serious is coming. That prompts him to put his active listening hat on. Second, it opens the door for Worf to be clumsy in what he says. He doesn't have to be articulate or get it just right. Takes all that pressure off. He sets that expectation from go. And then he asks for what he wants. While it really is that simple, I will point out from personal experience, this takes a significant amount of courage. So don't overthink it. Just do it. Just do it! And now let's look at Picard. He maybe takes up like eight minutes of this entire episode. He's not in it much at all. And for the most part, he is incredible in every one of those moments. There are a lot of ways to handle a situation like this. One of your trusted and valued team members is offered a promotion, one they've been working towards, and they could be leaving your team. We've already established that leading with your ego and being selfish isn't the way to go. But there is another wrong way to go about this, and this one might not be as obvious. And full disclosure here, I am guilty of this faux pas, and I'm confident that you probably are too, right? In a relationship like this, very likely, that you've experienced this thing before, right? You were the first officer being offered a command or the assistant being offered their first store. You remember the excitement of that offer, the deliberation you went through. When I was working for the theater way back, I was offered a pretty substantial promotion, but I would have had to move to Idaho. That was a long ways, and that was a big decision to make. So when your teammate asks you for advice, it seems perfectly logical and helpful to tell your story and even do the, well, if I were in your position thing. But here's the thing, you're not in their position. And while your experience is valuable, this is their story, not yours. Picard masterfully avoids doing this. As he and Riker talk, he praises the work that Riker has done on the Enterprise. He even references the scene in Encounter at Farpoint when he docked the saucer section. He makes sure Riker knows that he values his work and contributions to the ship. And then he drops these little hints about how great the job offer is. There's, there's the quote that I played earlier about being able to influence the culture and live out your vision. But he even gets really specific. The last time I saw Commander Flaherty, he spoke 40 languages. He speaks 40 languages? He has this unique ability of instantaneously interpreting and extrapolating any verbal communication that he hears, you will find him very useful in Sector Vega Omicron. Highlighting the great team he'd be joining. In doing this, he's demonstrating the value of both possible outcomes. If you stay on the ship, cool. You're super good at this job, and I'd love to keep you around. If you take the job, cool. Leadership is awesome, and there are some good people you're going to be working with. Through the entire episode, 
We never really know what Picard's hope or preference is, and I absolutely love that. What Picard wants does not matter in the least. This is Riker's story and his decision to make, and he is really struggling to make the decision. To be fair, the ship he'd take command of, the USS Ares, is kind of a podunk little thing that's not going to bring much honor and glory, Klingon thing there at all. It's out mapping an uncharted region of space, and so far, nothing too exciting. And while that's true, I'm a huge believer that it's not the size of the boat that matters, but the motion in the ocean you can create with that boat. The first theater I was the general manager of was this decrepit, old four-screen in a mall. It was slated to get shut down. My assignment was essentially to stem the flow of blood until they could put it out of its misery. Now, I could have accepted that fate and just moped around the auditoriums that had more roof patch over them than roof. Or I could do what I did. I could find those opportunities to capitalize on what I had. I mean, I was attached to a mall, so that gave me access to countless people. This is back in the early 2000s when people still shopped at malls. <laughs> over the holiday season, the company would push us to sell gift certificates. We had local regional, and national contests with substantial bonuses tied to them. I decided when they announced the sales drive and the contest around it that I was going to win. I'm a winner. I'm going to win. I had the mall thing going for me, but I also had nearly non-existent attendance. I mean, for real, there were days we'd have like 12 customers all day. And the contest was split into two categories. There was total like your gross sales and then Total sales per customer, your per cap, right? So at this point, you might be doing the same math that I was doing. There was a bigger 11 screen theater down the road a ways from me and they'd pull in, I don't know, let's say 10,000 people in a week while in a good week, I might pull in a thousand. So their gift certificate sales were divided by 10 K while mine just one. And remember the mall thing? Well, maintaining a good relationship with the mall manager went a long way. And really, all I had to do was make sure she got free movies anytime she wanted them. She let me set up a kiosk smack dab in the middle of the mall. I staffed that thing from open to close and we made bank. Not only did I dominate the per cap contest, but I finished high enough in the total gross sales contest that I got a payout there too. That was a profitable holiday season for me. So yes. The Ares is an unremarkable ship, and Picard even acknowledges this. But you can do amazing things, even if you're not working with an amazing set of tools. Eventually, Riker all but straight up asks Picard what decision he should make. I'd be a fool to turn that promotion down, wouldn't I? I don't know. Picard's answer is next-level awesome. His model through this episode is a paint-by-numbers approach to supporting somebody in this situation. Keep your opinions to yourself. Provide honest information. Make it safe for them to make whatever decision they want to make. And keep your ego out of it. If our job as leaders is to help create more leaders, this is what it looks like. You've done the coaching. You've done the development. And now it's time for that birdie to fly. Now it's their turn to go out and create more leaders. And if that's what you've done, you're doing this right. I really am very curious. Why did you become a leader? Was it to help move people from point A to point B? Was it to help groups accomplish a goal? 
Or was it more like Picard's description, right? Creating a culture, making your vision a reality. For real, tell me all about it. I'm on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it, and on Mastodon at SFLA Podcast, and I'm on Instagram at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff, T as in transfer directives, A-K-I-N. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. Oh, dude, I am ridiculously excited for this one. It's the third episode of the second season of the animated series, The Practical Joker. This is the one where Kirk has a Kirk is a jerk written on the back of his shirt. (laughs) This is a fun one. This episode is kind of famous, infamous maybe, but it's got some fame around it because it's the first time a holodeck shows up in Star Trek. I mean, call it a different name, but it's the same thing. But the one thing I think I'm most looking forward to is is when the computer says to Kirk, the computer says this, that's for me to know and you to find out. (laughs) I can't wait. And until then, ex astra scientia. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Electric acid.